Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Mitz and Twigs podcast. I am your man, Mitz, coming here from live on location, a mysterious location. Uh, probably shouldn't be here. I can't tell you much more than about that. But we're safe. We're sound. And I got my man, Twigs, with me here as well, coming from the Flame Cave as usual. How you doing, pal? Doing well, man. How are you? Hey, not so bad. A little chilly. Could be warmer. But uh, hopefully, much like my blues, things are about to start heating up. What a ridiculous game. Frick, we, I don't even know if we're going to talk about it today, but I want to just bring up that was like the worst game the Flames have ever played. They still made Thomas Grace somehow look like a Vesna caliber goalie again. What was it? Plus 40 shots. He only let two goals in. Just end the season. Just end it. <laughs> My brother went to the game. He's like, uh, I left, what did he say? He left three or two minutes left. And then, uh, cause I called him and I was like, Hey, did you like boo the flames off the ice? Cause it's like the first time in a long time flames fans have like turned on the flames. Like you don't usually see that fan base. Are they the loudest arena in the NHL? No, not by, not even close, but they are, they seem to be pretty loyal to their, uh, to their team, even going through the struggles and everything. So for them to boo, a game where Thomas Grice is in net is impressive. Like, yeah, I went into that game. I was feeling pretty good. I was, I was working, but so it was a, one of the few games I've missed lately, but uh, I go Thomas Grice over Bennington. Yeah. Heck yeah. Chalk it up as a win. Easy go. Here we go, baby. Wild card spot. We're on a roll. Now oh, it looks amazing. We got goal lead and they, and the goal scorers like all of a sudden started to score for the blues. It was ridiculous. Blues are uh, are this close to being the most ridiculously streaky team. So it was like nine game losing streak. I think it was like an eight or nine game win streak. Right. Followed up by like a seven game losing streak. And I can't remember. I think we might be on a three game heater right now. Um, just ridiculous. And uh, oh, it, things are, I think things are going to get weird real soon um, because I mean, no one in management's, interested in in this they can't find some consistency and the goaltending is wild but i mean let's use that as a segue to go to what is i think low-key one of the top stories of the week is that the edmonton oilers just signed skinner to a three-year like 6.75 i think contract um skinner's stolen the net from Jack Campbell freshly off of a multi-year five a year, I think contract that they signed in the off season. Um, I mean, overall, if you're paying under 10 for two goalies, yeah, you're not doing that. You're not, you're not doing anything too wrong, but like the, the Oilers don't have any cap room. You know, they came into the season with very little cap room. They spent most of it on, on, on Campbell. And, uh, and now they've just, extended a guy who you know he's, he's playing well he just he, not that he doesn't deserve it but uh, this is interesting man what, what, what's your thoughts on this what's your take yeah i don't know if there was like i don't think it was very hard for stew dog to uh steal the net like to be honest jack campbell came in and i think we talked pretty highly about him uh going into the season um that it was a great fit low cap it wasn't too crazy 5.5 isn't bad for like a starting goaltender who had a Vesna start 
last year and then kind of came back to reality. All due, oh, it was five, sorry, five by five, not 5.5. But uh, with all due respect to the Maple Leafs defense, it wasn't like he had much help back there. Um, And I think Jack Campbell learned real quick that he had less help in uh, Edmonton. Yeah. I, I just don't get it like in this sense. It, the Edmonton Oilers, Ken Holland, Peter Shirelli, um, Dave Tippett, all the coaches and management all just went through the overpayment of Miko Koskinen and how that like set the team back quite far, right? And cap wise and adding and building around, building the depth because they had such a large cap at 4.5 or points 4.7 or something like that in Miko Koskinen, which then doesn't allow you to address the holes that you have on the back end. Doesn't allow you to address the bottom nine, like getting a little bit, you know, the $2 million wingers, the maybe the better third line center that can help you. And they just did the same thing with Stuart. Uh, I mean, not Stuart, uh, Jack Campbell. And I wish that they might would have just been like, here, Stu, let's just give you a run. If that doesn't work out, we'll figure it out another way. It couldn't have gone any worse like than it has this year, right? Yeah. Now they're locked into Mr. Jack Campbell. You're not trading that contract anytime soon. His confidence is an all-time low, and your backup has just stole the job, which is good in the sense that the cap is really low, but you're still paying Jack Campbell to not play hockey. Yeah. And and that's that's a problem because the Edmonton Oilers, if you look right now in the Western Conference, are no powerhouse. I picked them to win the cup. I thought they would be great. You thought they would be great, uh, especially coming off of last year playoffs. Does losing Evander Kane help? I mean, them not doing well? Yeah. But it's their defense. It's their goaltending issues. It's all the same things that they haven't addressed. So do I love the deal? I love the deal. I think Stuart Skinner is going to be a real solid goalie for a real long time. And I think what this shows is, goaltending is just a mystery. There's no real science behind it. Like Jacob Markstrom, Stuart Skinner, Jordan Bennington, who else has struggled this year? Oh, look at Charlie Lindgren in Washington. Unbelievable run he was on, right? I know you've been, you've talked him up and talked him up. I didn't believe you, but look at him. Goaltending is, is weird. It's a, it's a weird, weird position. It's a weird thing to predict because it's also so team oriented, right? Like how's the defense, how's the forward group, all that. But yeah, I, I I'm happy for Stu. He seems to love it in Edmonton. Um, and I hope he, I hope he takes this and just runs with it because the way he's playing now, he deserves it. Yeah. Well, like you, you touched on it there. And it's really important to note that uh, I think as much as there's no reason to defend the defensive core in Edmonton for what they're, meant to be but it, it is defense is a team you know playing defensively is a, is a team aspect it's not just the six guys in the back but that with it in their title and you know if you play a good team defense that involves everybody else it involves being in the right place playing in a system that the goaltender can basically rely on certain things and then that allows them to cheat a little bit play certain angles because they can take those chances because they know what they, they're going to expect to see back there. And when they don't get that support, well, then you need one of those rare uh, ultra-athletic, borderline psychotic level goaltenders, like a Dominic Hasek, who 
doesn't matter who plays in front of him on any given night. He's just so reactive and so in tune with things that he can make it work. That's that's not common. Most successful goaltenders have basically the entire team playing in a way that they can lean on. They can, they can understand and expect that allows them to play the right position because goaltending is about positioning and anticipation really. So uh, it's a whole team effort there and it's unfortunate. I think we talked about this as well, that like Holland, Ken Holland in that position, he did kind of exactly what we'd expected him to do was that he went out there and got one of the top frangie goaltenders at a top price and it was very affordable. Like, really, it yeah. wasn't a bad deal. If Jack Campbell was playing at the caliber that he had this time last year in Toronto, it would have been a no-brainer of a contract at this point. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, that's not the case. And that's also why you don't just go sign the biggest name. When you're building a team, you need to take that stuff into consideration and ideally have really smart and experienced people around you that can – pinpoint players and say look even though this guy's the best guy he won't fit with our team because we need a goalie that can do xyz um what i'm most excited about uh because something that i i think there's a lot of hockey fans like this but one of the things that i get the most excited about is the ridiculous rumors and the uh you know the, the building out these ideas of trades and i say that i preface that this point because i read earlier and, and i think actually somebody in our, in our group chat uh shared an article about how frank saravelli was suggesting that jonathan quick might be on the radar of the toronto maple Leafs. that article alone seems kind of weird given that the toronto maple Leafs goaltender experiment seems to have mostly worked out so far samsonov right. has played wonderful when murray's been healthy he's played really well also and they're right in the thick of things they're right there uh, so it's a it's a hilarious to think that they'd be trying to add another goalie that's arguably past their prime or you know uh, Jonathan Quick had a great is, is playing well enough but my thought process immediately went to Toronto seems to be looking for some more goaltending depth Edmonton desperately needs some cap room and clearly they don't like Jack Campbell Edmonton needs to trade Jack Campbell to Toronto and retain half the salary. Because if, if you're only holding on, if, if Edmonton clears up two and a half mil, I mean, we saw what they've just done now with Stuart Skinner, two and a half million for, for Edmonton is enough that they could do a pretty good deadline deal to bring in more talent. And I mean, if Toronto can bring Jack back on a contract that. Is probably a lot closer to what they would be willing to pay and maybe that they have room for. It's a goaltender that they know whether or not they wanted to pay him $5 million. I don't think that they think he's crap. So it's a trade that's not going to happen. But if it does, everyone knows to give me personally credit for (laughs) Matt Campbell being traded back to Toronto from entering into the season with a full half salary cap recapture or not recapture, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's bold. That's bold, especially when Matt Murray's played really well. I think he's like, what, seven and two or something like that. And then then Ilya Samsonov is looking like a stud. You know what I mean? I think he's lost two or three games as well. And I can't remember if he's, I don't think he's double digit wins yet or he's, he's close. I think it might be nine or something, but 
that that goalie tandem that I completely crapped on and most of the media and most fans has seemed to worked out. It it seemed to you know shut us all up because for some reason um in the most intense hockey market other than Montreal these goalies are flourishing. Now have we seen the injury problems? Yeah, Matt Murray's already gotten hurt. It was like the first or second game of the year, hurt for a while. Uh, Samsonov carried, and then their backup or, or third string goalie also carried. But, yeah, I don't know. You said uh, move Jack Campbell to Toronto. What I think makes more sense is still involving Jack Campbell, but it's also involving the player that you mentioned before and Jonathan quick, where I think you could see a quick Campbell swap. That makes a lot more sense. Cal Peterson doesn't seem to be the goalie that everybody thought he was. He signed a the identical contract to Jack Campbell. Jonathan quick is no, you know, young guy. He's been playing for a long, long time. He's played well, but again, they, they're, they're, Built to win now, and they got a lot of players coming up that are have high ceiling. If you're going to talk about a team that can move a goalie, I think that's just a perfect marriage, right? Like, it makes sense. Like, you have a, mm-hmm. a, a wily vet underneath Stu. You're going to give Jack Campbell uh, a, a new start. Maybe some like that seems to work with some players. But no, I think you give the uh, again back to Edmonton. You give the ball the the to uh, to Stu, and you maybe try to find a way to move Jack Campbell. Uh, I don't think there's an appetite to retain any salary just because, boy, Edmonton's already got like some terrible cap decisions starting on theirs. But still, like there's got to be somebody. But it, right, it's funny. I say there's got to be somebody after I just said like previously. There's no way that contract gets moved, but. If Shea Weber's contract can get moved, anybody's can, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the reality of it. As much as something looks ridiculous, um, in this day and age, there's always somebody in the NHL that's willing to do that for the right price. You know, you you think about uh, someone like Chicago, not that they have any reason to do it, but you throw in like a third round draft pick and well, you know what? They might be, willing to they get what else are they going to do they need to hit the salary floor they're likely going to have 20 million dollars retiring at the end of the season or at least coming off the books one way or another so, yeah well think about know. it too this is um jonathan quick's last year under contract i think it'll be 30 37 at the end of it yep. that's enticing especially if you're if you're certain that uh, Stuart Skinner is the goalie of the future. Yeah. Yeah. If you really believe that, then, then yeah, bringing in a guy who can just support him, um, steal you the odd game on off nights and, uh, and be there in case of emergency. It makes some sense. I like it. Yeah. I like it too. That's why I said it. <laughs> uh, moment to, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say shout out. Cause I don't really like these guys for, uh, on and off the ice reasons, but it is worth mentioning. It's notable. Uh, Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane uh, recently played their 1000th game together. Um, that's not 
a feat that many players can 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 put out there. Um, that's 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 notable. Like I said, I'm not a fan of them for for a number of reasons, but that that deserves the recognition. Yeah. Um, whether or not you think they're good human beings, uh, it doesn't take away from the fact that they are uh, exceptionally ho- good hockey players uh, and have been for a long time. And I mean, we're a hockey podcast first and foremost, even though we yeah. do spend a lot of time talking about whether or not people are good people. But uh, <laughs> still, it's it's worth noting. Uh, and uh, God, I don't like the Blackhawks, so I can't quite <laughs> I can't tip my cap to it. But it's notable. I'll, I'll mention it. I'll do it. I'll tip my I'll tip my cap to the Blackhawks in the sense that um, what they did, boy, this because it wasn't good. What they did was was incredible in the sense that not many teams win many cups. The way they went about it was about as shady and shitty as a team could ever handle those situations. And now looking back, do you go like, man, do they deserve to win that? No, but what they did and what they did accomplish uh, was incredible. And what I will say about Patrick Kane, especially is he changed the game for a lot of smaller players. Uh, Patrick Kane came onto the scene. Electric was incredible. Jonathan Taves was captain serious. Right, all he cared about was winning, which came at some cost, which is absolutely despicable and not good. But what I will say is, I remember when I was a younger kid, and um, I was gifted a Patrick Kane jersey, and I hated the Blackhawks. I, I did not like the Blackhawks. I was a Calgary Flames fan, um, but I loved how electric a player could be like him on the ice. The the tight turns, the cuts, the the unreal passing, and then also have a, a pretty lethal shot and a, a real game changer that was um, coming before us, right? And uh, kind of changed the whole American movement, too, of players. All of a sudden, we've had a Johnny Gaudreau, an Austin Matthews, a Patrick Kane, uh, Alex Debrinka, especially the the – the smaller players are all coming out and just excelling. Jack Hughes, right? All kind of replicate his game. And I feel like maybe not in the locker room and maybe not as a person, but I will give it to him as it changing uh, the culture for younger, um, smaller players and giving them the opportunity to be like, holy cow, these kids can dance, right? And I think that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, we I've, I've had many strong many strong points about the Blackhawks. And I, and I think you saw that too, especially when you see a lot of thousand games, they get celebrated all over the, all over the internet and all over by different fans. And you hear the stories. It was pretty quiet from the, the uh, Blackhawks, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, you know, standpoint. It wasn't, there wasn't a lot of applauding for him and I completely understand, but I will tip my hat for, um, him changing the game. And it is cool to see uh, these players that when I was a kid still are in the league and still are really good. Yeah. I think it's, it bears saying that this is an aspect to think about sports that we don't necessarily love, mm-hmm. but uh, if you are good enough in athletics and you see this at the top level of the game, you see this in the university level the high school level, if you are a talented enough athlete, people forgive a lot of other things, but the moment you're not producing, you usually you're gone and you're dead and you're free. You're open game. Right. All things considered. Again, it is notable that all things considered these two players 
are still playing at a level that they're both getting they're still they're still playing professional hockey. Yeah. They're there's still people, teams out there that are looking at adding them as a playoff booster. Like, and yeah, as I said, I, I don't want to use any other language other than it's notable. It's it's remarkable in that sense that that they are still so good and so talented at that level uh, and producing at a, at a level that uh, they're, they're still playing above bad press, which is... I mean, in sports, unfortunately, unfortunately, whatever, whatever you want to say, in sports, that's that's the benchmark. Are you good enough to outplay your bad press? And it's notable that these guys are still producing at a level that they are. Yeah, it a is. Games later together. I thought, and again, we don't. I don't think we've ever had a pod where we sit here and be like, good on the Blackhawks, right? I don't think we've ever done that. Like, hey, yeah, oh, awesome, good job. <laughs> you know, there's. Never been that time. I do think it's cool that they both played their thousand game at the same time. I thought that yeah. was cool. Like I thought that was like that never happens. And it's cool that these two were like basically, man. And I'm sure you could remember this too. Do you remember going into the playoffs? And there wasn't many for the Flames, but like going into watching around and you're watching somebody else play the Blackhawks and they kind of have a lead or they they think they have it and then those two just turn it on. Right, it, it felt like you couldn't get through them. They were unstoppable. They were, and it was also Duncan Keith. It was also Brent Seabrook. But that team on the ice was good. Yeah. Right, and I think uh, I'll, I'll give them a clap for a thousand games. That, that's wicked. That's a that's a great yeah. accomplishment. I mean, the real secret sauce was multi-time Stanley Cup attendee Marion Hosa. Yeah, that's true. We gave him his flowers recently, though, so we won't we won't dwell on that, that too much. Uh, Blackhawks suck. Uh, <laughs> in, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, in other news, in terms of teams that suck, uh, Philadelphia. So uh, I'd like to retract all my John Tortorella praise. Piece of shit. So new leaf, uh, free thinking. Uh, champion of the the little guy John Tortorella <laughs> recently healthy scratched his top line center leading point scorer having a heck of a return season Kevin Hayes. Um, it is the prerogative of the coach. Uh, the black uh, not the Blackhawks. They do the Blackhawks suck. Uh. Philadelphia is in the basement. They're not playing great. Um, Cam Atkinson's now done for the year. Hopefully he comes back strong. He seems like a relatively uh, non-problematic guy, so wishing nothing but the best. Uh, but in this season, for whatever reason, whether it was a Kevin Hayes issue or a team issue that, that John, Johnny T, new age John Torts, decided he needed to address, he scratched his top scorer, on a team that's struggling to score, uh, not to, not surprising, they then lost 6-3. Um, when media obviously followed up with Hayes, I think as, as essential as comment was, I don't think I deserve to be scratched. I shouldn't have been scratched, but that's the coach's decision, not mine. And uh, Torrell's comments were 
that's between me and Hazy. So, I mean, we we just we just gave him a shout out <laughs> for his enlightened and thoughtful commentary about developing players yeah. and changes in hockey. Yeah. And uh, so, I'm almost inclined to want to extend that olive branch, but this is just so classic torts that i don't know like what 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 is this he's on pace he's on pace for 72 points 72 points playing on the philadelphia flyers and his reasoning was he didn't like the way that he's playing away from the puck i get that that's important but isn't that what your job is to address that during games address that during practices like isn't that your job I'm sorry. If you're rebuilding, yes, yeah, scratch Kevin Hayes. Shit, ship him out, right? That makes sense. Yeah. It that's what makes sense. I and I get it. Like, and you know what? Keith Yandel has said some really dumb things on the broadcast. He's just not that good. Like he's just not. He's just not a broadcaster. Yeah. He's buddies with he's buzz he's buddies with Paul Biss and that, and for some reason that gets him a gig on Sportsnet. And He's just not Paul. That's that's just what it is, right? Um, I do believe I, I I do agree with him on what he said at, towards his end of his statement uh, about his buddy Kevin Hayes was who holds the coaches accountable. And at first, I was like, oh, that's kind of, okay, yeah, that makes sense, right? I guess, but it's totally true. Like, and I'm not trying to make a, a, this a flame spin either, but I'm we're we're, we're right now dealing with Daryl Sutter. In love with Milan Lucic. He scores one goal in 87 games. He scores four his first goal in 87 games. He's now on the second line. Top six. Heater. He's on a heater. Here's my thing is these old school coaches. Man, they these old school coaches. Do they hate offense? Like, do they hate it? You have a, a your first line center playing with no name wingers. Your your freaking roster is depleted, and you're scratching him to prove a point that he's playing poorly away from the puck. Bump him down some lines, address it another way, but you want to create some chaos in the locker room, right? Just to make sure your point is heard. You did it. Good on you. You know what usually fixes locker rooms? Winning. You know what Philadelphia is not going to do this year? Win. So, I don't know. And I, I, I feel dumb because I'm over here, man, he's setting a culture. He's doing well and all this. And then stupid ass move, man. Well, I think he said, like, this. I don't want to take it. He said the right thing. Quite frankly, in my opinion, he said something that, whether Torts meant it or he just read it somewhere and knew he would all eat it up. He said what an intelligent and insightful leader should say is that inexperienced people in a role are going to make mistakes. What's important is that they don't make the same mistake twice. I'm completely paraphrasing something, summarizing it. He used some dumb language, but that was essentially it. It was like, oh my God, from Torts, this was... This seemed like a huge character arc moment 
Yeah. Like, wow, he finally gets it. This guy who has had success as a coach, if he can blend this like new learning with the ability that he's had to drive some success from players, oh my gosh, the sky's the limit. But this is just an example of same old torts just being that his main focus seems to be proving to everybody else that he's in charge. That's what it always seems to be. He's not teaching. He's not developing. He's trying to bend them to his will, which is, it may have some short-term success, uh, but it's not, it's not a long-term solution. And it's not something that's going to carry over year to year. It's, and it's quite frankly, a pathetic display of insecurity, is my opinion, um, when people try to do that. Because if you're a coach and you've got a, a locker room, your job is to assess the talent, not only the, the guys that are there, but the, in the, the, the depths, the upcoming free agents, you should be able to get a relative idea of where your team is, like potential ceiling, floor, and then worry about that. Think about that. What do I need to do? Where do I need my focus? The focus shouldn't be putting Kevin Hayes in his place. The focus shouldn't be showing everybody else in the team that I'm the biggest man in the room and that even the top goal scorer can get scratched if they're not getting back and back checking enough. Like, that might be something if you were a championship team and you just needed to straighten things out. But again, this is not what this team is. This is a team that is lacking in identity and lacking in talent and lacking in character in the management and ownership level. So it doesn't make sense to me that, that I guess going back to it, why we, we talked about why we thought this was probably the worst possible hire because it was just more Philadelphia. It's just more insecure, moronic, big dick swinging ego coming in when they already have a bunch of them in there. Bobby Clark, hashtag not my GM president. Uh, it's just ridiculous. It's such a waste of time. It won't be successful. It is not successful. And it's even... Uh, if you really want to get hazy out of there for any reason, you surely you can move that contract. You can move him to somebody else that wants a depth player. I mean, yeah, maybe you signed him for too much and nobody else wants him. But again, when you're bringing in a coach, be like, Hey coach, what do you think of your, of our lineup? Uh, by the way, we can't move Kevin Hayes. So you have to be okay with that. That's an interview question. Yeah. Oh, right now, right now he would so get like he's playing in Philadelphia. He's playing well under John Tortorella. He is. Is he playing yeah. well away from the puck? No. Is he playing well under him? Yes. He's gonna have career year across the board. Right? He's gonna have a career year. But again, it just it just makes no sense to me. It just doesn't. Like you're not battling for a playoff spot. You're already so far out in that division. Right, you're so far out. There just comes a certain point where, and Elliot Friedman reported this today. Is this 
and it wasn't based off Kevin Hayes, but is this the first leaf to fall in the rebuilding process? Is is management, is John, is um, the owners and all that? Are they finally like, okay, you know, this is where we're at. Let's do it. Yeah. We, like, you know, let's let's sell sell off. You know, you could easily retain some money on Kevin Hayes and somebody would snap him up like that. Would not take a lot. Right? Especially you, you gotta figure. Huh? You gotta figure. You've yeah. got to figure that some like a player like like he's he's played on successful teams the last handful of years before Philly. He just hasn't been the top guy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't I think it would take nothing to move that contract. 51 games with the New York uh, Rangers. He had 42 points and then 13 points in 20 games. Like he's a reliable center. He's a 15 to 20 goal scorer. Seems to like assists. He dishes the puck well. I I don't know, man. I actually I actually felt bad for him because yeah, he seems to love Philadelphia. He seems to love hmm. it, but I don't know what your plan is, Johnny. But uh, you're one step closer to a rebuild, and I don't know if that's the guy like we saw in Columbus that would wanna. And again, I'm sounding real dumb because I've said on many podcasts that I'm loving the culture. Like I'm loving, like I'd run through a door for John Tortorella. I'm saying all that stuff, but I'm sitting there right now with Daryl Sutter as the head coach of the Calgary flames. And last year and previous years, I'm like in Daryl, we trust the guy can do nothing wrong. There's this old mindset with these coaches that is just weird. It's strange. And just when I started talking about like Matthew, uh, not Matthew Phillips, uh, Patrick Kane, you know, changing the game for smaller players like Matthew Phillips and all that. But there's still these old men that are like, no, he's not six, five. No, he's not two ten. No, he's not going to hit. I don't know. I, I'm just kind of just kind of over it. Well, I think it. To like to go big on it is it's it's the whole idea, like we touched on a little bit. We talked about earlier how like goaltending is more than just the guy in the crease. It's everything that happens in front of them and playing in your system, yeah. being predictable and being reliable. Uh, but it also extends to the coach and then the management, whether it's GM, president, hockey, whatever they're, it's about those people being uh in sync and working in unison. So, you know, if you're going to have a Daryl Sutter, yeah. then making sure that the guys that you're signing and you're bringing in match the style of hockey that he's going to want to play. And at this point, it doesn't seem like Daryl Sutter and Jonathan Huberdo is, is a great marriage. Do you want still, me to expand on that? Well, I mean, they're still early in the season, and I'm sure there's there's a lot of factors that go into that. You know, his, having his line mate. I'm about to get rank here. We might have to beat his line mate right now is Milan fucking Lucic. Like that's who he's playing with. Like, you want to talk about bad coaching? And again, I'm not discrediting anything that he's achieved. As a Flames head coach, he didn't achieve much as the Flames GM. But what he achieved 
in his 10 years as head coach under the like working for the Flames and for LA has been incredible. He's he's changed Oliver Shillington's career, who's not playing with the Flames this year. He changed Johnny Goudreau's. He changed Matthew Kachuk's. He elevated a lot of – I'm not saying he's not a good coach. Hmm. But you know what? You know who also coached like Daryl Sutter right now? When they were playing Brett Ritchie with Sean Monaghan and Johnny Goudreau, and that was Jeff Ward. You know where Jeff Ward is right now? He's fired. Because they're, they're stupid decisions. Yeah. It may – Again, give me any rationale that makes that makes sense. It doesn't. So yeah. you're going to put your best playmaker with your worst finisher. It might be only for a game. I don't know. But again, I'm sitting here and being like, Jonathan Huberto has moved through in 30 games. He's been on the first line. He's been on the second line. He's been on the third line. He's been on the first. And now he's back on the second. I'm sorry. In any his first time ever being traded, his first time ever playing really under a new system, uh, like and new teammates and new everything, like everything's new. There's no consistency. There's zero consistency. Hmm. Am I sitting here saying Jonathan Huberto has played well? No, Jonathan Huberto has not played well, not played well at all, right? But I am gonna say that Daryl Sutter, when he doesn't like you, and it started at the first second game. When he goes, Jonathan Huberto was actually hurt, and he just said no. He was taking a shit, right? It wasn't true. He was actually hurt. Like it's no, it's not been great. I I can't say it's been great, but I also can say that I don't think anybody right now is is enjoying playing under Daryl Daryl Sutter other other than Milan Lucic. That's it. Yeah. And you want to talk about like things that fire me up? Flames Twitter is just giving it to Jonathan Huberto. Where has he been put in a position to succeed? Because I can come up with a lineup and put Brett Ritchie or Milan Lucic with Jonathan Huberto and then be like, oh, shit, Jonathan Huberto isn't excelling. Oh, that might be because he is playing with a bunch of plugs. Yeah. Right? It just is. And and. Daryl's east-west way. He's getting buried this year when everybody's game is going north-south. There's a lot of things this year. There's a, there's a lot of things. And no, is he having a great year? No, he's not. But uh, I'm not ready to throw the towel in on Jonathan Huberto, even though Flames Twitter today was making the point that they should have traded Matthew Kachar Chuck for 23-year-old Martin Neckis from Carolina, mm-hmm. which sounds great. But you know who else Daryl Sutter doesn't like to play? Young kids. Hates <laughs> it. And if he does play them, they better be the best two-way player that he's ever seen for them him to get elevated. Like, no. Give me a break. Just I think freaking break. That 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 genre, that group of flames Twitter needs to be grouped up with uh the Blues Twitter and the Blues Reddit scene, who uh, every other day cry about the fact that David Perron's no longer a St. Louis Blue, um, as though that's that's the key. That's that's why the team isn't playing well. It has nothing to do with the defense being patchwork and and having way too much money invested in mediocre players. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the fact that like a number of players are having just some of the worst statistical seasons of their year. 
or other other uh, career. Yeah. Uh, yeah, David Perron, perennial, you know, middle six forward. Ten goals this year, eh? Yeah. Like, he's not a bad player. But to hear Blues fans talk about him, you would think that he was, like, a Patrick Kane or an Alexander Ovechkin. Like, it's it's wild. It's absolutely wild how often any kind of discourse about even on a win, even in a, like the Blues could win six nothing over a, a juggernaut, and somehow in the midst of those top comments will be something about how there would have been an eight if Perron was there or <laughs> something ridiculous or stupid like that. Like, uh, or I wish Perron was here to enjoy that with us. And I'm like, come on, guys, let's let's yeah. get over. It. I, I'm sure that if if Prime had come back for a number that made sense for the Blues, if he'd, he he could have come back, I I just frankly I don't believe that they didn't offer him any contract at all. Um, but he got he got good money, got great money, good on him, and he's going to he, he he's he's not that far away from where he was. But this is a guy who's played for a number of teams in his career. This isn't a guy that played his entire team of the, the career of the Blues. He just always seemed to end it back up at, with the Blues. So, I mean, what do you want? What do you want to do? So, my thing with that is the St. Louis Blues are already like right at the cap ceiling, right? Yeah. And they signed. So, you, you're telling me that David Perron is more important than Robert Thomas, uh, Jordan Cairo. Your future, you have just seen what happens when you lock up bad money in mediocre places. And I'm not saying David Perron is mediocre. I'm not saying that. I think David Perron is really good. I think he's a solid depth scorer that can pot you 20, maybe 30 goals a year. I'm not saying that. He's good. He seems to love it in St. Louis, and the fans seem to love him there. But you're starting to see a shift in St. Louis where they're getting younger. Their core is getting set up, right? And they have some bad money on some bad players. That's why David Brown is not there. I'm sure St. Louis would have loved to have him back. What what a lot of people like to point out is that the Brent money Sox. that no no the money that they think he should have got was money that went to Nick Letty. Um, what they like to forget is that before Nick Letty came over in the trade, uh, the Blues defense was god awful um pareko was having one of the worst years of his career and people were clamoring for him to be traded and when they paired him with letty they actually became even though neither of them were putting up great numbers for themselves the unit overall and the team success overall actually increased it worked it was working really well and so it drives me insane that a team, a fan base, can't see a team that's finished with nine 20 goal scorers brought back a defender that improved their overall success and made them a Stanley Cup or like helped put them in an area where they were considered a Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, they were one Nazem Kadri away from the Western Conference Finals. They, and, and let's not forget that Perron also cost us a game there because he was getting revenge the on the series. The next game, not yeah. even in the game, he went into that game and cost us that game. So, uh, I'm sorry, Blues fans, 
if you Perron's had some great years for the for the Blues, and and all, that's all well and good, but he cost us that series, and we would not be winning more games with him right now versus Nick Letty. No, that's it. That's it. Uh, maybe we should have brought back Billy Huso. <laughs> maybe we should have brought back Charlie Lindgren. Charlie Lindgren uh, should have brought been brought back. That kid is unreal. Yeah, that's well, unbelievable. Like, yeah. yeah, he's not a kid anymore, but mustachioed bandit. It's a good story. Fifty million shutout is what he did last year in. I mean the HL, but still, that's still impressive. Yeah. Um, I gotta, I gotta go get dinner. I'm in trouble. That's fair. I'm in trouble. That's fair. That's fair. Do you want to do the outro? <laughs> I mean, I thought that was the outro. Oh, that's the outro. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, um, thank you for uh, putting up with our uh, regular schedule this time of year. It's a holiday season. I hope you all Very have sick. more in your lives uh, than us that is keeping you busy. If you don't, then please, by all means, reach out to us via Twitter uh, whilst we're still on it, because who knows how much longer that will be <laughs> a, a sustaining platform. Uh, you can find I us love it. as well. Uh, you can reach us wherever we have our podcast, uh-huh. which is all major locations. Uh, but regardless of all that, regardless of what social media platforms exist in the next week or two, we love you. We thank you so much for listening. Be good to one another and uh, heck, keep it peaceful. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Yeah.